Good morning. Good morning over here and over there. We're going to look at uh, a different text. Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. And we'll look at um, verse 12. There's a rich man who is clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell, or Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, son, remember, that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf, a chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Uh, that's probably one of the best glimpses anywhere in writing of the in, what happens in hell. Uh, and I'd like to point a couple of those things out before we move on. But first, I'd like to just pray for you. Lord, you know every heart that is in this room right now and those that are on the internet or listening on some station you love these people. You created them like Jeremiah. You knew them before you formed them in your, their mother's wombs. You decided if they be male or female, if they be tall, short, stout, slender, blue-eyed, brown-eyed. You know everything about them. Jesus even said a hair of our head doesn't fall to the ground without you knowing it. And so, Lord, we would like to get into that relationship with you of the intimate things of our life. Who are we? Why are we here? What in the world has gone wrong in our world in the last year? Um, what can we do for our fellow countrymen? Lord, we're in a big jam and we're without you. The church is uh, not doing her job and you are just watching and waiting. So we'd like to be used by you, Lord. And I'm asking for these men and women 
that uh, their sphere of influence would begin to flow with more of your spirit and your love and your word. And that some of the most difficult people in Orange County could be touched by those that are in this room right now. Lord, hold nothing back. We don't want one human being to have to go to this place. It's wicked, it's evil, it's eternal, it's horrible. And so I pray that you said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we need to fear you more. And so if there are any today that are outside your kingdom, may they have wisdom to call upon you today. In Jesus' name, Jesus. amen. amen. <clears throat> uh, January last year, 2020, I was reading some statistics before COVID, um, I think it's the American Bible Society. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's who it was. It might be somebody else, but I'm pretty sure that's who it was. In January 2020, they found out that uh, two questions they asked in churches all across the United States. And that was, uh, the question was, do you read your Bible every day as a Christian? And um, are you impacted by the scriptures that you read every day? So they did that and what caught my attention on that some people do a uh, a national poll of some sort and they ask 100 people or 200 people this was well over a thousand close to 2,000 or more which would be a broader base they found out that 28 um, percent of church-going christians said they read their bible daily 28 percent and are impacted by the scriptures which means 72% of people who go to church don't read their Bible daily, nor do they live by the scriptures. Okay, that's important. So um, June came along six months later, and we're three months, a little over three months into the COVID-19 mysterious, whatever that thing is. Um, and they asked the same two questions, broad group of people throughout churches in the U.S. And they said, are you reading your Bible daily? And are you impacted by the scriptures. And this time the poll came back 22.7% of church attending Christians. Now it's gone down. So it's like 78% of the Christians that would be in this room would fall under that, that you're not reading, you're not impacted, therefore you're not living a Christian life. So that was a good catcher and um, caught my attention. And then in June, the Barna Group out of Oceanside, which is a very uh, credible polling group, they wanted to know, since the last 90 days, being uh, March, April, May, into June, um, are you attending church uh, that you were attending when the COVID started, or are you watching online? They found out that one out of every three Christians in America no longer were going to their church or watching online. So one-third of American Christianity disappeared last year. Does that concern you? Yes. Yeah, that's why our country is where it is this hour. The Communist Party has done some really horrible things inside and nobody's standing against them. But traitors are one of the words that are used in the pastoral epistles of the signs of the end times that people will be traitors. Um, and there's only one way 
that a Christian could accomplish anything, and that's by the power of the Lord. It's not by anything that we could do. Um, it's by His love, His power, His word, His strength. But we have to be willing. What it tells us is that American Christians aren't willing. Now, I spent a lot of time in the almost one entire summer in Eastern Europe when the communists, the wall was up in Berlin. And I saw Christians pay a price of driving maybe three hours and meeting, I can remember one place in Hungary that um, we met in a barn starting at nine in the morning. And I thought I was gonna just teach a chapter, but we didn't leave till nine at night. Uh, those people were writing everything down, recording everything. Um, taking pictures of my Bible and the scriptures. Uh, and you get into East Germany where it was really wicked and dark. was actually asked by the government to leave before my visa was up. Uh, <laughs> they made a stupid mistake with me. They had a microphone in my room. And you're sitting there on the couch and you're looking across your room. There's a circle in the wall. You walk over the circle and you feel it and you realize that's a microphone sticking through the wall. So I just take my Bible and stand there and read my Bible to them. I lasted two days in East Germany. Um, but anyhow, I, I've been in war zones and weird places where people pay a price to sit in a meeting like this. Uh, in northern Iraq, entire villages of people like you and me totally destroyed simply for being Christians. That was ISIS, and the Obama administration knew what was doing the slaughter of Christians. ISIS, I-S-I-S, the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. Step two in the briefings we got would be Europe, mainly London. Step two has happened. Step three will be the U.S. of A. Step three is happening in a different manner in our country because uh, we can understand um, rioting, but we can't understand traitors and people that say they represent us and they don't. So we're in a really rough spot. So how do we get out of a rough spot? We call upon the Lord, right? But here's something interesting. Most people couldn't tell you anything about hell. They know it's some bad place and there's a good place. You get a choice, heaven or hell. It's not that simple, really. A price was paid. And uh, there are a lot of people that are saying uh, they gladly accept the price, but then there's no sacrifice. And Jesus said, here's my heart. I'm lowly and I'm meek. And I know a lot of people that are Christians that are a zillion miles from being meek or humble or being lowly and kind and gentle and giving and holding back nothing from their neighbor. Uh, there are a lot of people like that. But I think our picture of who we are is askew. So I gave a completely different message in the last service. And I stood out there and talked to people and I thought, oh, you're the ones that I'm supposed to scare about hell. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Let me just point out a couple of things and then I'll give you a little bit of what happened in the last service. A rich man, a poor man. Okay, the rich man has everything, the poor man has nothing. He's so sick, he has no Medicare. He's got sores all over him. He's sitting outside by the garbage wanting to get the crumbs off the rich man's uh, table. The dogs come and lick his sores. He can't even push them away. The poor man, verse 22, dies, carried by angels to Abraham's side, which means he'd be a Jew. And the rich man also died 
and he was buried. He wasn't taken, he was buried. Abraham just went on in life. Uh, and he was waiting for the poor man. The poor man just transitioned. And that's really it. I mean, nine years as a reserve police officer in San Diego, you see people die in many, many ways you would never expect people can die. And uh, uh, it's just an amazing thing what people do to themselves and to other people to harm people. But when death comes, many times the shock on the face of the person when they died, the last thing they saw was reality. Their time is up and there's no coming back. And that's what the rich man is trying to do. Notice the rich man is being a rich man in hell. He's barking orders. Hey, send that guy over here. Who, the poor guy? <laughs> he's barking orders. He's, he's not in touch. Uh, just give me a little drop of water on his fingertip that he could touch the tip of my tongue that I could quench my thirst. So that tells us a lot. You've got feelings in hell. You've got emotions in hell. He knows what it means to be thirsty and to be hot and to be quenched. And he recognizes the leader of Judaism, Abraham, and he sees the poor guy that he never really helped his whole life that sat out by his garbage trying to eat the crumbs. You've got a full memory bank going for eternity. And that's going to be the hell of it. The last thing you'd see would be how beautiful God is and how loving he is, how kind, how forgiving, how understanding, and you chose to say you're better than him. Pride. So this man's got all these things, and for the person that is anti-God and doesn't want God, will live with himself for eternity, and that in itself, to remember some of the things we did as kids and teenagers and think of the people we've hurt and said bad things about or who knows what is in our past. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from that. He paid the price for us. We don't have to remember those things. They're forgiven. But I just wanted to point out a couple things and we'll move on here. One was he uh, recognized people. Uh, he's very thirsty. Abraham can reason with him. When you were in your lifetime, you were rich, you had good things. This poor guy had nothing, but now he's being comforted. So we know that hell, there is no comfort. He was on another side called paradise where there's a chasm between. And this is before Jesus died on the cross. So everybody like, say, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, Noah, Mrs. Noah, Joan of Arc, um, all those people were waiting. They were in paradise. And when the cross happened, Jesus, it says in Ephesians, ascended. He who ascended also descended, taking captivity captive. So the people that were held captive on the paradise side were taken up into heaven by Jesus. So the people that rejected any plan of salvation or asking for forgiveness or trying to be a decent uh, person before God, they stayed behind and they'll be judged at the great white throne judgment. So he says uh, child or son, meaning he calls him Father Abraham. That means he's a Jew also. And he says, remember that in your lifetime, so you have complete memory banks from your first memories of one and a half, two years old, up till 97 or 42 or 13, whatever the age is, Lazarus in like manner didn't have any of these things. And people from your side can't come over here, and people from here can't go there. But he says, listen, I beg you. Now he's begging. So now you know how to twist somebody's arm. You're still going to use all those tricks of a rich man. Uh, I beg you, Father, 
to send him, who? The poor guy, to my father's house. So he remembers his dad's house. He remembers his dad. I have five brothers. So my father's house is a figure of speech to all of my relatives. I have five brothers. So you know numbers, you can count. You remember the faces of your brothers and your sisters. So that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So he's warning them, this is a place of torment. This is a place where you're going to be thirsty. You're going to be full of memories. The whole time is just you and you and you and you for eternity, just yourself. That'd be a mess. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. And then the rich guy says, no, no. So he's contradicting the truth. No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, he, they will repent. And Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, even if somebody is sent from the dead, they wouldn't listen. And of course, Jesus has been sent from the dead. And still people have a shock in their face when they die. And I'm telling you, it's not a very pretty thing to see sometimes. Uh, I have a friend that uh, was in Sacramento area and he got a call out just before Christmas. And uh, the highway patrol needed his chaplain services and he goes and he saw uh, several families had died that night in several cars and low ground fog and the ambulances were everywhere. But he noticed that several, if not all, the highway patrol people were all on one side in a group together. And they were sick from all the death they saw. Boys, girls, grandmas, grandpas, Christmas family people going places. And uh, he said, yo, what's up? And he said, ah, oh, there's one last person. And what, what do you mean? He said, well, everybody's gone to the uh, mortuary or to, to the hospitals, but there's one last person, and it's just we just don't have the strength right now to get their ID. And he said, well, I'll, I'll go get the ID. And he said, no, that's a pretty ugly mess. And so he goes up there, he feels around and finds a wallet and gets it, and as he's pulling the ID out, he sees them all looking at him, and uh, he takes a look at his driver's license and he dropped on the ground. It was his son. That was horrible. And that was his son. And uh, when I talked to him about this, he wasn't very friendly to God or to plant life or to animals. He was just, how could this happen? We've all had something like that happen where we've been hurt. You know, and we wonder, why would God allow that? And then you always hear from the godless people, well, how could a loving God well, you don't even accept his love. How do you know he's a loving God? Huh? So what I'd like to do is give us a couple of hints how we can make a difference in the United States of America. Starting right here, where the last revival in the history of the United States happened, 1968 through 75 or 76, right here in Costa Mesa. And we're about 15 to 20 years beyond the average time of a revival in America. So has God given up on us? No. Have we gone too far? No. You don't think so? No. Oh, good. I'm coming to this church then. <laughs> um, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. I mean, beyond big trouble. And if you knew all the behind-the-scenes things, and I don't know them all, I know enough of them that we're in big trouble. And God has no reason to stick it out with us any longer. We, the Christian nation, that 
You know, just last year, a news commentator said uh, about three weeks ago that uh, we have an enemy we're at war with. It's called China. I said, that's interesting. And uh, since last year at this time, 70,000 kids have died in America from Chinese fentanyl that's sold to the cartels and then sold throughout uh, the United States. And you take all the COVID people, uh, that disease that came out of Wuhan and the fentanyl has killed one million Americans and not one person saying anything about it. Now I have an 18-year-old grandson. I have several grandsons and daughters. Um, Chase, handsome, blonde, curly hair. Have a picture of me dedicating him as a baby on a Sunday morning. Uh, Sandy, in the picture beside him, is in her arms, born like 30 minutes earlier in the hospital. And one of his friends blessed him and gave him some pills. And he died instantly from fentanyl from China. Now, I wanted to get vindictive. And I had enough training of how to find people that um, I had enough names and addresses. Could have caused some problem. But the Lord said, vengeance is mine. So I let the Navy SEALs go get him instead. <laughs> you know, when death comes, every death notification I've been on, they're not expecting it when they open the door and see you at all. They're shocked. Who are you? Why are you here? What happened? And then they fall apart. I remember it happened to my mom when one of my brothers was killed in high school. Just a single mom, her oldest boy, she's never the same ever. Life can deal hardships to us. But do we give up on God? No. Nope. Does God love us? Absolutely. All things work together for God, for good, for those that love the Lord that are called according to His will and His purpose. Not all things are good that come into our life but they can be used by God for good. So now we see there is this place that there are people, they do go there, they can reason with a sound, apparently mind, they know their religion, Moses, prophets, Abraham, my father's house, they've got addresses. I debriefed a couple of teenage girls in Northern Iraq once that uh, she had a photographic memory, she's 16 years old and her best buddy was 15, and they were born on the same street, lived next door to each other, grew up together, were kidnapped by ISIS on the very same day, put in the same trunk, um, and then put into a van, then put into a bus, and then put into 500 girls being sold with American men and American dollars buying them in northern Iraq. And um, I thought, that's a good witness for America, isn't it? There are a lot of things that God could have nuked us a long time ago. And we are responsible if we name the name of Jesus. We are responsible to humble ourselves in sight of our God and live the life that Jesus has laid out before us. Because there are people that you know and I know, more so the people I used to know than you would have known, that are here in that place right now today. And when we were 16 or 19 or 22 and we thought we were really tough guys or whatever, 
they're still down there remembering that. And why God would say, I'm going to let you find my grace. I have no idea. But don't I have a responsibility to do something with that? We all do. But it's because we don't fear God. We don't look into hell. We don't think about it. You mean they're thinking about themselves and all their mistakes their entire life for eternity, never stopping? That's right. Torment. He says, torment. It's horrible. So turn with me to um, the third chapter of 2 Timothy. And I'd like to read to you verse 1 through 5. Take heed to this, or understand this. It's a way for the rabbi to be saying, this is going to be on the test on Friday. So this part you want to get. I'm taking a couple of courses right now, and I keep saying, will this be on the test? He says, yes, this will be on the test, Michael. Okay, I'm writing it down in my book right here. But understand this, that in the last days, there will be uh, perilous times, very difficult times. I think we're seeing it. For people will be lovers of self. Selfish, yeah. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. They'll be heartless. Unappeasable. They'll be slanderous. Without self-control. They'll be brutal. Not loving good. Treacherous. Reckless, swollen, or puffed up with conceit. Lovers of pleasure. That could be the banner for America. Lovers of pleasure. Um, Rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power. Avoid such people. So what does that mean that they have an appearance? Well, there's 78% of people sitting in churches this morning that uh, don't really read the word or feel any commitment to live it and to practice it. Um, I mentioned last service something many years ago, Chuck Smith and I were on the road together somewhere and he said, you know, Mike, you can tell what kind of a Christian uh, a person is by their checkbook. And he said, what do you mean, Pastor Chuck? He says, well, just look at your checkbook. And I said, okay. He says, what am I looking for? See how many checks you wrote to Jesus. (laughs) Oh, well, let me check here. And that's true. There some of the stingiest people in the world are Christian people, but yet some of the greatest givers are Christian people. He was sitting next to a very well-known pastor's wife in a conference that we were speaking at, uh, her husband and myself and Chuck. And um, she told us at dinner afterwards that he reached over when the offering bag came by and gave her $2 and said, don't ever let an offering bag go past without giving something to the Lord. And he gave her two of his own dollars. Of course, he got the reward in heaven for that one and the one he put in. I don't know if that's how it works. So she gave, but the point was, he was teaching one of his disciples, always give, always give. You can't outgive God and he'll provide for you. He'll never let you starve. And the more somebody scrimps and pinches, the more they hold on. But there's he, Proverbs says, it gives away and more comes their way. And it's just a a truth. So are we actually the salt of the earth? Here we see there's a heart attitude. That rich man had all of these adjectives in his heart that we just read from Timothy. And this is the mindset of the world at the end 
in the last days. This is what's coming across the news. It's coming across the rioters in the streets. And this is what is in our schools. It's just horrible. To think that man can tell little boys and girls in California that they can take pills and change their sex at five to eight years old. How sick does it have to get before the church really stands up and say, wait just a minute. I mean, I don't know. They're pushing as hard as they can to see how far they can go. Supreme Court just said yesterday, day before yesterday, people cannot be stopped from having home Bible studies. Did you know that we were stopped? That the government had passed it? In San Diego, a health person said, no Bible studies in people's homes. You might get the flu. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Whoever thought that day would come in America? That the Supreme Court would have to intercede for the church. This is how it happened with Adolf Hitler. They changed the game. They changed the rules. They set everything that has taken over Cambodia, Vietnam, North or South, you name all the countries, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Hungary. They get rid of the past. And if you control the past, you control the future. That's one of their dogmas. So you get in with a bunch of punk kids and they start pulling down statues from the Civil War. And they change the past. They erase landscape and they erase libraries and they erase books and they rewrite things and re-edit it so that the kids that are coming up will accept everything that we've, as their big brothers and sisters, have allowed to happen. And they'll just say, well, this is natural. Well, you're... You're a homophobia, you're a, you're a, and everybody's got a title. And nobody's saying, but what about God? Oh, no, that's offensive. We can't have any of that here. Well, you will be at a place soon where you won't have any of it at all. And you'll find it in Luke 16. If that's where you want to be, that's where you're headed. But it all starts in your heart. Now turn to the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 and uh, verse 12. Yeah, verse 12. The six seals are being opened from this scroll from heaven and judgments coming on the earth during the great tribulation. The church is no longer uh, seen. The uh, Chapter 2 and 3 is the church age. Chapter 4 and 5, the church is in heaven and not seen again. So now without the body of Christ on the earth, it says in verse 12, chapter 6, Revelation, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there's a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a strong wind. The sky vanishes, imagine that, you can't imagine that, can you? I mean, that's the sky vanishes like a scroll, it rolls up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling on Mother Nature, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now imagine that. 
they know there is a day of judgment. They know that God has a right and has put it down in writing that he will give wrath to everybody that rebelled against his kingdom. They know that. They recognize God and they recognize Jesus, the Lamb of God. Isn't that interesting? They know who it is and what it is. Instead of saying, please forgive us, they call on global warming and earth and mother nature fall on us and hide us. You can't hide from God. This rich man down there in hell, he's not hiding from God. He just didn't want to see God or hear God. He wanted all of his money to be everything he is about, all of his accomplishments. Hmm. He's got that for eternity. I can't thank God enough that I'm standing in front of you because there are many, many times I should have died and deservedly so. Many, not one or two, many. And there were times I was right on the edge of hell and he would just reach in and pull me out of an ugly situation. Woe unto me if I don't tell you the truth. And I don't tell you how much God loves you, but there are people that you love they're headed the wrong direction because their heart is filled with the vocabulary of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And it says, don't associate with people like that. So we come here, and they're calling out. And don't you find it interesting that they recognize God's got wrath, the great day of his wrath. They somehow had Bible teaching or religion, something that there was... Something more than peanut butter and jelly sandwich floating in the ocean and lightning struck it and it turned into a salamander and it walked up onto the beach, climbed a tree and became a monkey's uncle. <laughs> there must be something more in their vocabulary that they could say, well, yeah, I remember that. I remember, I don't know, Sunday school or something, but I don't want any part of this. And all they had to do is say, forgive me. That's all. But human pride is like, I, I, there are animals that are proud. One animal that is very proud and I let him be whenever I'm around him is a grizzly bear. He can be as proud as he wants and I'll just go the other way as quickly as I can. But sharks, you know, man-eating shark. Um, there are, there's pride, but the human pride is unbelievable. And notice this, hide us from the wrath of the lamb. Let me ask you a very honest question. Have you ever seen an uptight or an angry lamb? Let alone a wrathful lamb? No, Lambo? Never, never seen them. Okay, all right. So there you have it. There's this group. So their heart starts out in vocabulary. Oh, this is just how they are. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, now the end is here, and that heart is sealed, their future for eternity. Don't let it happen to you. Don't. Do you know that in Benghazi, we had 600 calls for help and the White House wouldn't send help. Some of those men that died from San Diego, we've seen many, many Navy SEALs come to the Lord in the last 40 years in San Diego. Uh, from Medal of Honor winners, you name it, God has done a work inside the Navy SEALs, that's for sure. <laughs> it just seems like Good will be called evil, and evil will be called good, was what Isaiah said would be happening. So language is being spun around. And we're being told, this is okay now, but that's not okay. 
that's not okay, but this is okay. Oh my goodness. My mom would have slapped me down if I even thought that could be something happening on a weekend. No. But nobody's speaking out. Since Pastor Chuck Smith left Orange County, I loved him. It's never been the same county. Well, his presence was here. That man, I saw God use him in places that were amazing that nobody would ever know. I remember one time I was in a room with him in China and something happened. Maybe I'm too close to home to say this story. But he made a, a comment that if the governor at that time signs into this marriage law into being, he'll never have another office in this country. I listened to him say that. And he wasn't angry, he was just talking under his breath. And apparently at Calvary, Costa Mesa, a bunch of gay guys ran in ripping their clothes off and they found out very quickly how many hundreds of off-duty police officers go to Calvary Chapel <laughs> and they arrested this whole crowd of guys. And I said, I overheard you say something. Could I call someone? He said, I don't care what you do. And I said, well, no, I'm not being a smart aleck here. The governor's um, handler, his number one guy, is a personal friend. I'd like to warn him of what I just heard say. Cause I, and he said, sure. And you know that man I called, we'd just spent our vacation with he and another couple. Four of us knew the Lord and we were doing our best to help this other couple. And uh, I said, here's the deal. He said, yeah. And then when I told him, he said, you evangelical Christians, you're always pushing everybody around. I said, back up, Jack. I'm not pushing you around. I just spent two weeks with you. Did I push you around? No, you're quite a gentleman. Okay, so back off of this, you Christian people. I'm trying to tell you as a friend that I overheard something that could be detrimental for your future, let alone the governor's future. Okay. He called him. The governor didn't sign it. Chuck didn't threaten. But he had the authority to say, if while I'm on watch, something as foul as this is going to come into our church, and then you're going to say this is not abnormal, and you're going to sign into law, and everybody's going to know you're going to have an uphill battle. We need more men like that that will stand up. Not like the rich guy. The money goes to hell with them, and they're, hey, send that guy over here. Do this. Give me a drop of water. Hey, what about my five brothers? What about my father's house? Oh, come on. You got to do something for me. It's all about me, 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 me. And that's what Jesus died for was us. We're full of ourselves. We need to empty ourselves. And so when all of a sudden we get into the political correctness, our vocabulary changes. When our heart changes with that vocabulary, we get hardened and we're going to miss the greatest show on earth, the throne room of God. That your sins are forgiven. You just need to accept that and receive it. Not be religious about it, you have a responsibility for the boys and girls in junior high school, in elementary schools, in Corona Del Mar, and Newport Beach. They've got everything money can buy, but they're growing up thinking abnormal is normal. And when you're gone, their Grammy and Grandpa, it'll be like, when I'm gone, I've got 42 people in my family. And I love them all. And for Chase to go, I just found on my cell phone yesterday 
my last text to him, I love you, Chase. I'll always love you. I'll always help you. I'll always be your bapa. You call me day or night. If I can ever do anything, please. I was begging him. I'm never going to erase it. Because maybe it's you today, as I found out somebody in the last service. It might be you. Love is real. If you watch the Grammys, I had teenage granddaughters there. They wanted to see some guy named Bluey Shilish or some Blue Eyes or I forget what his name is. But I thought, you know, it's like Elvis Presley in his day. So I'm watching, I'm saying, this is stupid. And Sandy gives me the grandmother look, because the girls, okay, so what am I gonna, she, we'll work it out, don't worry about it, we'll talk to him about it and tell him right from wrong. But it was so much semi-nudity, and I was thinking, this is just gross, this is not a role model for my granddaughter, sorry, but I know I gotta be careful here, it's how I present it to him. So we're watching this, Tuesday I'm reading the paper, 51% smaller audience than last year in the Grammys of 2020. And I think that was like 49% the year before. See, this is what it tells us. Christians are walking into church, or people are walking into churches saying they're Christians, but they're not living it. Their checkbooks don't show it. Their hearts aren't showing it. Their kindness, their gentleness, their lowliness, their meekness. They're just like anybody else. And only about a fourth of them, a little over 20%, are really believers. So then we get this little thing called a... COVID-19, and a governor sends sick people into retirement homes where there are elderly people and 15,000 people die, and that's okay. But I'm not a doctor. I do have some doctorates, but I'm not that kind of a doctor. And, and I was, no, I wouldn't want somebody going in where my mom was with that disease. So something weird happened. We all know it. It's strange. We'll never get to the bottom of it, you know. Um, but I do know this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved me when I was dying one night from an overdose, and I lost my mind for two years, and he healed me. And he took me as a high school dropout and got me three doctorates and three masters, and it's showing that he can do anything for anybody at any time. Gave me back my beautiful wife. We got 20 grandkids, 21 now, just a new one was born just a couple weeks ago, and she almost died three days later, just after Chase had just died. And we're, Lord, please. You see, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he loved me in my worst, then if I'm at the top of my game and he loves me, everything in between is fair game for him to love me. And you may have lost somebody. I had a couple talk to me in the last service. Because I was feeling sorry for myself one day. I was out in the backyard and I said, but Lord, he was stoned. I know the autopsy. He was stoned. One pill took him. So he showed up in front of you, stoned. Did you love Chase? Yes, I love Chase. Can I love him? Well, you're God. Of course you can love him. Can you forgive him for being stoned? Well, yes, I'm his grandfather. I forgive him for being stoned. I know he could have made it through or something. He said, well, can't I forgive him? Oh. You mean to tell me God's love is deeper than my love and your love? And his forgiveness is deeper than your forgiveness and my forgiveness and understanding? Absolutely. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, never entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those people that love him. 
Otherwise, there's no rhapsody, there's no music, there's no art, there's no sunset, there's no understanding, no brilliance, anything to compare to what God has. In a moment and a twinkling of an eye, we shall not all die, but we shall be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. My buddy who's up there with the Lord right now, Billy Graham's associate evangelist, John Wesley White, said he went, he has two PhDs, I think both were from Oxford, a brilliant guy. Just a brilliant guy. He um, said, I looked up that word twinkling. I said, okay, what do, you, what do you know? He said, well, it's not as fast as speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, coming off of your eye and flashing. It's not um, 10 times the speed of sound. In all the languages that he searched the word twinkle, he couldn't get the definition. What is a twinkle? And then through mathematics, he found out you being changed. This is you now, so you can get excited if you want to. I'll be a little bit quicker because I have a lot of stuff behind me. I've got to get there better, quicker than all of you. Um, a twinkling of an eye is less than one one trillionth of a second. Not faster than that. Yeah. You're going. But which way are you going? You gonna live in your past for eternity? Or are you gonna say, thank you for forgiving me and loving me? Now how can I turn that around while I'm still in Orange County? Which, by the way, is a very tough place to live and be a Christian. Very difficult. It's so materialistic, especially the closer you get to the beaches. Then we set one another backwards sometimes as Christians of how we've acted or something we said or and we just need to know that God forgives us and if he forgives us to prove it he says I'll give you my I have six kids I don't think I'd want any one of them to die for any one of you as nice as you all look I don't know well there's a couple times when they're teenagers there's a couple I would have gladly given for free just go but can you imagine that as a daddy son See all those people down there? That warehouse there, Costa Mesa? Yeah. Well, they all deserve to die. Oh, I know, I read their records. Yeah, I know, I, I see what goes on in their minds. Yes, huh? All the people they've hurt, yeah. Are you going to forgive them? Well, if you'll die for them. Do you think anybody deserves to die in your place? I don't. I want to, I should die for my problems and you should die for yours. But if my creator says, you don't understand it all right now, but if you'll just believe, my love is so powerful. I've created everything for you, your family and your friends. Two greatest assets we have, it's not stocks and bonds, cars and houses, family and friends. Don't ever throw them away. They're valuable to be loved by other people and to have people you can love is so very important. There's a lot of lonely people. I remember a lonely lady, San Diego, when I was a reserve police officer. A really rough part of town, lots of shootings and killings. And uh, the police cars were swarmed around, everybody afraid. She's foaming at the mouth, she's spasming. The paramedic said, this isn't physical. So I went to the officer I was riding with, and he was in charge. I said, uh, you're not going to want to hear this. 
but I think this lady's possessed by a demon spirit. What? I said you didn't want to hear it. You're darn right I don't want to hear that. And I said, okay, but I'm going to tell you, this lady's got a... What can you do? Well, you have the authority. If you say, I can do something, then the rest of the cops stand back. Yeah. So the Lord said, I love that. She's like 22 years old, I think. Saturday night, it's hot. Um, and I just got down on my hands and knees next to her. And I said, um, I'm here to tell you that God, your creator, is here with you and he loves you. And you have an evil spirit inside of you. And she just started twitching everywhere at that. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, the sinless blood that was shed for you, come out of this lady in Jesus' name. Now, you don't usually do this on a police call, actually. Uh, and all of a sudden, it wasn't dynamic. It wasn't trumpets blowing. It was, ah! All of a sudden, she's a... And she's like a little kid. No, there's 50 people on the street, gang members and all. They were shocked. And they all knew what happened, but they didn't want to say that's what happened. So got the paramedics, put her in the ambulance, says, go to the hospital, Jesus, he'll take care of the rest of it there. There isn't anything he wouldn't do for any of you. There isn't anything he hasn't done for any of you. But it's time to not be the 28% Christian be the one, the big number, that you are one of those that reads daily. You're not one of those third that are missing in action. Because we're told that happens at the end of the age too, aren't we? And what happens? Well, in the last days, the wheat will grow up with the weeds, the tares. But don't try to pull up the wheat, the tares, because you'll inadvertently get the good wheat which means in the last days even the pastors won't have discernment of who the real Christians are. That's scary. And I was one for 50 years. That's scary. That I wouldn't be able, if I were still the pastor of that church, uh, not much got away, but if that's how it is now, I can understand. So they're here separating. One-third of American Christianity disappeared last June, a year ago. The wheat, the angels are here. And then, one last thought, and I know I've gone over my time, Dave, but you can beat me up afterwards, <laughs> is this. I found an answer. Why are all these horrible, wicked things happening? And it comes across the news. Well, this is what's happening now. And we hear all these things that are so strange and bizarre in America. This is how school is going to be, and that's what this is going to be, and that's going to be, and this is weird, and that's... Oh, give me a break. What's going on? Well, in Revelation... Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Okay? Woe. Okay, so woe means slow down. We feel sorry for you down there on planet earth. For Satan, that old serpent, that dragon of old, the devil has been cast down upon you. And he is full of wrath because, and again, that's a rabbi word, because here's the answer to why. Because he knows his time is short. He's lived in eternity, and he's now down here, and the clock is ticking. You've lived with a clock or a watch your entire life, and you're going to eternity. He is so angry with you little dirt people made out of dust. 
He's angry. So, if you were going to be full of wrath and the populace of earth is being warned, what do you think Satan would be doing? He would go against the image and the likeness of God. We're made in the image and the likeness of God. So if he can change sex, he can change identity. If he can change the image and the likeness of God, it's spitting in God's face. That's why these crazy things have been popping up. His time is tick, 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 tick. Your time is woo. Let's go. Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Lord, each of these men and women are very special in your eyes. And I'd like to ask that you just stir them up, even as they're going to lunch, going to work, whatever they're up to, to just think of some of these things. If it's all about vocabulary and the end time words are really negative about people, then we want to be careful to have nothing to do with those kind of people. We want to avoid those kind of people. They're self-centered, self-loving, full of anger and bitterness, all those different things that Timothy saw. And then, Lord, if we're so close that when even your judgment comes, this world and the godless people in it are not even smart enough to say, forgive us of our sins. Romans said there are vessels fit for destruction. Please don't let one woman or one man here be fit for destruction. Please bring softness and gentleness to all of our hearts that we will actually humble ourselves and say, forgive us, Father, of our sins. Cleanse us of our unrighteousness. And then, Lord, they cried out, who can stand? And in Psalm 1, you said, the ungodly shall not stand with the righteous. So now we know in their brilliant minds, they don't think anybody can stand with you. But in Psalm 1, you say, yes, the person who meditates day and night in God's word, he's the one that will be able to stand. May you forgive each of us this very moment. Please don't let us play as if we're Christians. Let your power of your Holy Spirit baptize us right now, Lord. Let your love pour over us like a liquid waterfall. Let your word find place in our hearts and our souls. Let us be used to help those that are lost, those that are poor, those that are hurting. Lord, use each of us with your love to bring hope to a hopeless world. In Jesus' name, amen.